welcome to Crypt Talk, a podcast about urban myths, scary legends, and all around spooky stuff. Hi, I'm Monica. And I'm Denise. Yeah. And, and this episode came about, like, it, it's a whole story with this episode. <laughs> Basically, originally, I said, like, oh, it's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Let's do something related to that. Mm-hmm. And then in, upon research, I realized, oh, there is nothing we can do that is not overly exploitative. Yeah. Or at least... We could probably would have found something if we had the time to do more research, but but you know, we didn't. We didn't, and we don't. So we decided instead of doing like a half-assed job of something and being disrespectful, mm-hmm. we would just instead look for something that would be more um, easier to approach. Yeah, like easier to find information on. Yeah, without like because I feel like it, and I do. I would like to cover some like yeah. some African American folklore or even Canadian American, Canadian American, African Canadian. <laughs> Folklore? Yeah, that'd be really interesting. But I think it is harder to access specifically Canadian, uh, African-Canadian, African-Canadian information. Yeah, well, the African-Canadian community is way different, right? Yeah. Like, But e- either way, um, we decided instead of like struggling through this, mm-hmm. we're going to instead discuss uh, a tradition that is, you know, huge for like what is essentially American culture, like North, mm-hmm. like U.S. culture, and that is tall tales. We should start by the, by describing what a tall tale is. Yeah. So it, it tall tales are a little bit different than myths or legends. Yeah. Um, they're a very specific category. Tall tales are a story with unbelievable elements related as if it were true and factual. Mm-hmm. And some of the, sometimes they are exaggerations of actual events. For example, like when your fisherman uncle tells you like, oh yeah, I caught a tuna that was the size of a TV or whatever. Right, right. Um, and sometimes are completely fictional, or sometimes they are completely fictional in a familiar setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you will find often with t- American tall tales is that they are either in the European countryside, the American frontier, the Canadian Northwest, or the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to mostly focus on the American tall tales, and maybe we'll find some Canadian ones later. There's actually a really cool p- picture here on the tall tales wiki page from Pantagruel. And like it's um, it's done by it's a woodcut dude done by Gustave wow, Doré. That's beautiful. Well, he's the guy who that he does all that uh, Paradise Lost woodcut oh, okay. stuff, you know. Okay. Like if you ever seen those Paradise Lost illustrations, that's him. Um, so you might you might be thinking like, but I don't know any tall tales, and I'm American, and you and I'll tell you like actually you're wrong. You do know tall tales, because everybody knows some of these guys. I promise you, you've heard at least about one. Um, so I figured we could just get on it now because mm-hmm. we know who they are. Do you do you want to do the? I think I think Paul Bunyan is a good way into it. Yeah. Right? So like we said before, sometimes they're based in history and sometimes they're based on just nonsense. And that's Peck- I mean Paul Bunyan is definitely one that's based in fantasy. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean he's described as like fifty feet tall or something, right? He's a fucking giant. Yeah. And he has like a giant ox, Babe the Blue Ox. Yeah, so he's a giant lumberjack. Yes. Like that's like his big deal. He dresses with the little like, um, little with his like... With his uh, like checkered... Yeah, checkered, checkered um, shirt and he has an axe. Mm-hmm. And oh, and apparently he uh, carved the Grand Canyon with his axe. Yeah, and like that's his, his footsteps are like, they made the Great Lakes. Yeah. Uh, so let's go a little bit into the history, into the history of Paul Bunyan. Yeah, I, I do feel like he's probably the most well-known one. Right? Yeah, so like I, I, I wasn't very aware of him, but yeah, I I was just because I vaguely remember looking at him on some sort of class. Okay. I want to say, mm-hmm. um, I I say the most well-known one is David Crockett. Okay. 
But uh, still don't know who that is. The guy with the raccoon hat. I didn't know that was like a real person that that had like tall tales told about them. I don't know. But you heard. Of, but you've heard about Davy Crocker. No. Never. Never. Uh, I mean, we're gonna talk about it. So like, yeah. Realize about where I just. Like, I'm gonna I'm keep going married. through this. Like, but you heard about this, right? Yeah, and I'll be like, no, I have not, because I don't know not anything about American history or culture or, or like folklore stuff. Really. All right, so let's talk about Paul Bunyan and where his name comes yeah. from, because there's a whole thing there. Yeah, and I thought it was really funny. Um, much of the commentary on his name focuses on a Franco-Canadian origin. Um, because phonetically Bunyan is similar to the Quebecois expression Bonyen, expressing surprise or astonishment. Uh, the English surname Bunyan is derived from the same root as Bunyon in the old French Bun, relating to a large lump or swelling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was about to say that sounds like Bunyan. Yeah. Um, and several researchers have attempted to trace Paul Bunyan to the character of Bon Jean of French Canadian lore. So, you know. <laughs> Even the most popular one is actually French Canadian. Yeah, it makes me laugh, but you know, um, but yeah, like his big deal is that he's a fucking giant. Um, if you look further into the subject, obviously he's meant to represent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's meant to represent the might and the willingness to work and all that nonsense that I guess they really needed at the time of like the American frontier, right? When you're knocking down trees and when you're setting down railways. Yeah, I mean, lumberjacks were, like, so instrumental in, like, Mm -hmm. establishing, like, villages and and, and stuff like that. Okay, here's the story. So many years ago, Paul Bunyan was born in the northeastern American state of Maine. Mm -hmm. His mother and father were shocked when they first saw the boy. Paul was so large at birth that five large birds had to carry him to his parents. Wow. So instead of, like, the one... The one stork, it it was, was like, five five, Yeah. When the boy was only a few weeks old, he weighed more than 45 kilograms. So that's, like, an adult person. As a child, Paul was always hungry. His parents needed 10 cows to supply milk for his meals. Oh my god. Before long, he ate 50 eggs and 10 containers of potatoes every day. Which is a very specific <laughs> meal. <laughs> Nobody expectorates like Paul. Um, young Paul grew so big that his parents didn't know what to do with him. Once, Paul rolled over so much on his sleeve that he caused an earthquake. Oh my god. This angered people in the town where his parents lived. So the government told his mother and father that they would have to move him somewhere else. Uh, Paul's father built a wooden cradle, a traditional bit. Okay, I know what a cradle is. His parents put the cradle in the waters along the coast of Maine. However, every time Paul rolled over, huge waves covered all the coastal towns. So his parents brought their son back on land. They took him into the woods. This is where he grew up. As a boy, Paul helped his father cut down trees. Mm -hmm. He had the strength of many men. He was also extremely fast. He could turn off a light and then jump into his bed before the room got dark. Oh, I see what it means. Yeah. So, like... He could turn it off and then... Yeah. Like, he was like the Flash. Essentially, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, this once the snow covered Paul's home in a nearby forest, but, however, this snow was very unusual. It was blue. Uh, the blue snow kept falling until the forest was covered. Paul put on his snowshoes and went out to see the unusual sight. As he walked, Paul discovered an animal stuck in the snow. Oh, my God. It was a baby ox. Oh, my God. Paul decided to take the ox home with him. He put the animal near the fireplace. After the ox got warmer, his hair remained blue. Cute. Uh, Paul decided to keep the blue ox and name him Babe. Babe grew very quickly. One night, Paul left him in a small building with the other animals. The next morning, the barn was gone and so was Babe. What? Paul searched everywhere for the animal. He found Babe calmly eating grass in a valley with the barn still on top of his back. Oh my god. (laughs) Babe followed Paul and grew larger every day. Every time Paul looked, Babe seemed to grow taller. I guess you know how your parents feel now. 
It's like, can you like stop? This is very inconvenient. And we also know how um, the people that own Clifford the Big Red Dog felt when he was growing. <laughs> Biggest cryptic? Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yeah. Uh, in those days, much of North America was filled with thick green forest. Uh, Paul Bunyan could clear large wooded areas with a single stroke of his large ar- sharp axe. Nice. Uh, Paul taught Babe to help with his work. Babe was very useful. Uh, so Paul would just like like get help from the blue ox, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so in time, Paul and Babe the blue ox left Maine and moved west to look for work in other forests. Along the way, Paul dug out the Great Lakes to provide drinking water for Babe. They settled in a camp near the Onion River in the state of Minnesota. Uh, Paul decided to get other lumberjacks to help with the work. His work became, his work crew became known as the Seven Axemen. Mm-hmm. Each man was more than two meters tall and weighed more than 160 kilograms. Oh. All of the Axemen were named Elmer. Oh. <laughs> okay. Work. Okay. Uh, that way they all came running when they were Paul cut. So like, oh he was just God. like, you guys are all Elmer now. I was like, but my name is Jack. Too bad. No, it's Elmer, actually. It's Elmer now. You, you do not get to choose your name. That is your life now. It's interesting that you said uh, you said West Virginia or whatever. Like he seems to travel around the world. Like he left Maine. No, no, no. But like, yeah, he went oh, to Maine. Minnesota. Okay. No, because I was reading an article that was like, it's not like there's no like specific actual like prominence for him. Well, um, I know he carved of... the Great Lakes, and you were talking about the Great Canyon too. Yes, yeah, and I mean, no, like what they're what this article saying is that a lot of places claim him as like oh like this is where he would have been born and a lot of these places um have these like huge statues of him mm-hmm. and babe right and and they're saying no actually no it's actually ours yeah yeah exactly which is really interesting um and there's um it's on savingplaces.org and there's a couple of, of pictures of like uh paul bunyan statues and completely different looks and stuff but you know consistently uh, a lumberjack with his um a little ox friend though no, not very little <laughs> oh my god so like as you keep reading like this is a, a a website called learn english so like the english is very simple maybe that's why i haven't been fucking up yeah um you keep reading like stories right like every sunday paul and his crew ate hotcakes each hotcake was so large that it took five men to eat one paul usually had 10 or more hotcakes depending on how hungry he was oh my god uh, the table where the man ate was so long that a server usually drove to one end of the table and stayed the night <laughs> <laughs> the it's server really yeah the server drove back in the morning with a with a fresh load of food oh my god uh paul needed someone to help his get i don't care about that oh the camp was also home to sport to sport the reversible dog oh okay hold up sport mm-hmm, the reversible dog what does that mean one of the workers accidentally cut sport in two um okay the man hurried to put the dog back together but made a mistake he bent the animal back. He bent the animal's back the wrong way. Oh. However, that was not a problem for Spot. For Sport, he learned to run on his front legs until he was tired. Then he turned the other way and ran on his back legs. Oh my god! Like I love the idea that he accidentally cut the dog in yeah, half. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna." I'm just gonna put it back together. It's know, all you got, good. Anyone, anyone of you guys have some super glue? Apparently, or? like that's what he used. You're good. We're all good. Get. Oh. Anyway, there's more stories here, like Babe having tr- trouble finding food to eat. Um, <laughs> he apparently, all the blacksmiths solved the problem by making a huge green sunglass for Babe. When Babe wore the sunglass, he would he thought the snow was grass. Before long, Babe was strong and healthy again. Oh my god! <laughs> Aww, so cute. I know. Yeah, so some people say that they were responsible for creating Puget Sound in the western state of Washington. Yeah. Uh, others say that Paul Bunyan 
clear the trees from the states of North Dakota and South Dakota. They prepare this area for farming. Mm. Babe the Blue Ox died in South Dakota. One story says he ate too many hotcakes. Oh, babe. <laughs> Paul buried his old friend there. Today, the burial place is known as the Black Hills. Oh, it's like a real place? I guess. So, so there are lots of stories about what happened to Paul Bunyan. Some people say he was last seen in Alaska or even the Arctic Circle. I love the idea that he's still hanging out there. Yeah. He's like an immortal giant. <laughs> Who dares disturb my sleep? Wait, um, I want to I mention something about Elmer, the Yaxman and stuff. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, the year of the two winters, it got so cold, which I don't know when that is, that the Yaxman <laughs> let their beards grow full length. They wrapped their beards around them for warmth. Which is like, I guess, fashion or something. <laughs> I thought that was really a cute, cute detail. I guess fashion. Um, oh yeah, it says the another tradition says he still returns to Minnesota every summer and he moves in and out of the woods so few people ever know that he's there. I'm like, he's a fucking giant. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess he did grow up in the forest so he knows how to hide in there. You know, he's big. <laughs> I feel like that's... I mean, I, I know we're arguing the semantics of a giant, but still. Yeah. Paul Bunyan, I think, is probably the most, like you said, one of the most famous ones. Yeah. Um, I think tall tales have kind of disappeared as, like, an interesting story to tell mm-hmm. kids, you know? Like, the thing is, we focus more now, on, I mean, at least from an educative, education point of view, I know we focus more on um, fairy tales and mm-hmm. sometimes more uh, indigenous stories of myths of creation and stuff like that. So... When it comes to tall tales, it's like, yeah, I guess. But like you said, like nobody really thinks they're fun. Yeah, honestly. Um, so that's Paul Bunyan. Yeah, we can move on to... Uh, who had... And, and honestly, that's not even like the last of it. There's more there's stories. There's a lot. I think he's, he's very well known by children too, I think. Not children today. No, well, no, but yeah, maybe in the past, I guess. Yeah, we can talk about some of his family. Oh, sure. Because he had a younger brother called Cordwood Pete. And you would think he would also be a giant, but this guy was actually just 4 feet 9 inches, so 100 and, a meter and 45 centimeters in height. Pete's growth was apparently stunted by the fact that he could never get enough flapjacks at the breakfast table because Paul ate everything mm-hmm. in sight. So he wanted to be tall, but he couldn't. <laughs> Sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the legend, Paul Bunyan left his home in Bangor, Maine to make his way in the world. Like, we remember, right? Like, he's yeah. up in Minnesota. Pete, tired of being mocked by lumberjacks in Maine because of his size, followed Paul to Minnesota, and despite his miniature stature, his diminutive stature, found work as a lumberjack near Foston, Minnesota. Oh, mm. good for him. Uh, local lumberjacks nicknamed him Ledang Cardwood Pete because his size suggested he was more suited to cutting cordwood than feeling huge, than felling huge trees. <laughs> Aww. Uh, he, they... So he spent a lot of time in the saloons, and his fellow lumberjacks soon learned he was hot-tempered and full of spunk, especially after imbibing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came to admire his feisty spirit, and no one dared fight him. Legend has it that he borrowed, it is put on quote-unquote, so borrowed, mm-hmm. his brother's double-bladed axe one day. He swung the axe, and the weight kept the axe spinning round and round as if in perpetual motion. <laughs> um, when the axe finally stopped spinning, 100 acres of timber had been felled. The railroad hired Pete the next day to clear a path for their track, and before the day was over, he had clear-cut 50 square miles of timber. Uh, Peter had to give his brother's axe back to him the next day, and he never again achieved such a lumberjacking feat. Mm. Uh, After that, Pete stuck to cutting cottonwood, which he hauled to the market with the help of his little donkey named Tamarack. He died at age 84. 
Oh, so apparently people had forgotten about Cordwood Pete mm-hmm. until like in 2001, uh, they discovered a time capsule. Oh. Uh, when they were demolishing like one of Foster's oldest buildings, mm-hmm. and inside was the complete story of Cordwood Pete. Oh, yeah, it's it's cute. Oh. Uh, some some people are qualifying Cordwood Pete as fake lore, which I mean, can it you like, let... it's like you found the actual. I mean, I guess the idea okay. is like it's not actual lore because someone just made it up. It's like I mean, just let the man live. That happens, man. Um, hold on, let me see. He also has a cousin, because I thought it was just fucking funny that like he also like his whole fucking family is in the story here. That I should probably be looking. There we go. His name was Tony Bieber, and there's not much here about him. He was a West Virginian woodsman. Uh, often described as cousin of Paul Bunyan and champion griddle skater of the southern United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also the, it's also the title of a folk operetta by a guy who cares. Um, when you have, have met Tony Bieber, you may say, the things that happen to Tony can never happen to me, and no yeah. doubt you will be right. For in your workday world, the melons you plant can turn out to be no more than melon-sized. While in Tony's realm, melons may grow as big as moons. <laughs> For Tony has all the resources of folklore at his command, its ingenuity, its wonder, and he walks hand in hand with fabulous kinsmen, inhabitants of the realm where the unbelievable is believable, where the fantastic is commonplace, where the dreams are doing and the doings are scaled to tall measure. Oh, so that's kind of cute. It's like a musical play that someone made about Tony about Tony Bieber. Um, it's kind of like people decided, well, we all like Paul Bunyan, so let's make fanfic about his relatives. It's like <laughs> this crappy do of of tough, tall tales. But yet, what the fuck is a griddle skater? What is a griddle skater, Monica? Griddle do you skater? know? No. Let me look. Griddle skater? Yeah. He was a champion. He apparently challenged Paul Bunyan to a griddle what the race. What is a griddle skater? I guess it's like old ass skates <laughs> I mean, is, like this is what skates used to be like i guess so they were what the fuck is this it's like instead of like a blade is like a long it's, like a, it's like a really tiny ski yeah 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 that's a good way to describe it so like instead wait, of wait, 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 wait. It, it's weird after that tony helped his grandma grease the griddle on some mornings the bacon fat skates were especially greasy literally they're on griddles ew and then you use them to cook because you know you know you gotta use your you gotta use you you can't waste stuff yeah that's terrible oh good lord okay so that's the bunyan family even though none of them have parents appear to have the same last name uh what do you have for me, Mom? Yeah, I was gonna talk about Peco's Bill. Ooh, um, Peco's Bill. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've heard the name before now, but you know, I still didn't know that much about him. So this is a, <laughs> this is a learning experience for me, and I was reading out to Denise some of the stuff that I was finding. Well, out, and, and there's like, also Whoa. like like a Warner Brothers mm-hmm. short cartoon about him, mm-hmm. and I remember watching it, or maybe not that one, but another one. I think maybe it was a Lucky Smith guy. I don't know. Okay. Either way, uh, tell us a little bit about Picklesville, who has a really cool name. Well, according to legend, Picklesville was born in Texas, as you know, a bunch of cowboys or mm-hmm. like cowboy related stuff are. Um, and Picklesville family decided to move out because his town is becoming too crowded. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I don't know about this one. Fuck this town, I guess. Um, and when they were traveling, Pecos fell out of the wagon. Oh no, Pecos! Yeah, and he fell. Uh, he fell near the Pecos River, which I guess is how they got his name or something. Because I guess he wasn't named before. I guess so. Um, he was taken in and raised by a pack of coyotes. <laughs> As one well, is, you know. This. As one is. Yes. Uh, years later, he was found by his real brother, who managed to convince him 
that he was not a <laughs> I just love the idea of this family like not really looking for him yeah, but like, because oh God, whatever, like, I guess the baby's dead and then they're like <laughs> randomly they find him and we're like oh yeah by the way you're not a coyote you need like to come back. They're like on a hike and they run into him and he's like, Oh, shit. Oh, 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 my God. It's a brother. We know this it's kid. So close. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good oh job, Pecco, surviving. All right, let's keep going. So he yeah. was raised by coyotes, but was not a uh, coyote. And then he could get very crucial. He grew up to become a cowboy. Um, and he used a rattlesnake named Shake as a lasso and another snake as a little whip, which I, I like, dude. You are like torturing those things. There's <laughs> like Bro, no reason for on. it. There is 100% no reason Just for it. Just get like a fucking lasso for real, dude. Like, yeah, like there is legitimately no reason for it other than to like fuck with the snakes. Just like, I'm just gonna. You know what? I think I think rope is boring, so I'm just gonna use snakes. You know what I want? I want the constant danger that I might get hurt at any given chance. <laughs> at any given chance by like a fucking snake. God. Alright, um, keep going. His horse, Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, also justice reigns from above <laughs> also called lightning was so named because no other man could ride him and live so Widowmaker because he would make widows out of the wives of the men he would kill that's a, a pretty badass name for a horse honestly don't know if he deserves that one Widowmaker is the coolest name you've ever it is it like is. I fucking love it as a name because it makes you think like oh dynamite was said to be his favorite food Okay. I, I can't tell. I can't tell. If is this Pecos or the horse? Yeah. Like, well, all right. Um, it is also said that Pecos sometimes rode a cougar instead of a horse. Well, you know what? There's no way to treat an older lady. <laughs> that was good. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. On one of his adventures, Pecosville managed to lasso a twister. It was also said that he once wrestled the Bear Lake monster for several days. What the fuck until is the, the Bear Lake yeah, monster? Yeah, that's what I'm opening up. And, uh, and being appearing in folklore near Bear Lake. That's so much information. Thank you. I fucking love all these names, by the way. It's just a monster. Yeah, it's like a, Straight it's like a Ogopogo. Yeah, it's basically. like Ogopogo, but like That's from this area. Right. Pecos Bill had a lover. I guess. Uh, named Slewfoot Sue. And she wrote a giant catfish because that's Woo! just what we do. Oh, I did, I did forget to mention, didn't I, that I think, I think Pecos is, is also like one of the big guys. Oh, he's a giant? I think I don't know. I feel like he was. He hasn't mentioned that yet. Okay, then maybe not. Then maybe he's not a giant. But we 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 are gonna touch up on the fact that like half of so the many of them are fucking are giants. giants. And I don't know what that says about you guys, but yeah, it's right. some small dick energy. Over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was fishing with the pack when he saw her with the pack of coyotes. I guess. The fuck. Um, Shake Widowmaker and Super Two are as idealized as Pecos Bells. Um, she uh, doesn't have a wiki page though true after a courtship in which among other things Pecos Bill shoots down all the stars from the sky oh. except for one which becomes the lone star um, Pecos proposes to Sue and she insists on writing Widowmaker during or after the wedding before during or after the wedding depending on variations in the story um, and Widowmaker this is the horse yes. is jealous of no longer having Bill's undivided attention so he bounces Sue off, and she lands on her bustle. And Which is like her big dress. And begins bouncing higher and higher. Pecos attempts but fails to lasso her because Widowmaker didn't want her on his back again. And she eventually hits her head on the moon. After she has been bouncing for days, Pecos Bill realizes that she would eventually starve to death. Can't believe it took him like a couple of days to realize this. <laughs> oh yeah, she'll, she'll eventually need to eat or she'll die. It's weird, huh? Um, Funny how that works. 
Uh, so he lassos her with Shake the Rattlesnake and brings her back down. Why didn't you do that from the fucking start? He said he was trying, but Widowmaker was stopping him. Like, this fucking horse, dude. Like, <laughs> you know what? Like, for a while, you know that there was that cartoon, uh, Mystery Incorporated, which is oh, like yeah. a, a, a modern Scooby-Doo. And in the Scooby-Doo, like, they had that uh, Shaggy and Velma secretly hooking up. But the problem with that was that Scooby was jealous oh and Shaggy God. didn't know who to choose. And it was like, one is a fucking dog. <laughs> I think it's the, 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 the clearly the human one. Yes. Um. Anyways. Widowmaker, realizing that what she did to her was wrong, apologizes. Oh. After she, like, almost, after he, like, almost killed her. Um, in Bowman's version of the story, Sue eventually recovers from bouncing, but is so traumatized by the experience, she never talks to Peckless Bill again. Oh. In other versions, Sue couldn't stop bouncing, and Bill couldn't stop her bouncing either, so Bill had to shoot her to put her out of her misery. Who's the fucking horse? <laughs> what are we talking about, Peckless Bill? God, I can't believe he was like, I guess I'll, oh, I guess I'll just kill her, I guess. This is, like, the solution, I guess. Fucking <laughs> Christ, dude. That is said that Bill was married many times. He never loved the others as much as Sue, as the and the other relationships didn't work Clearly, out. Clearly, he got married many times, they didn't work. <laughs> oh, in the Melody Time version, Sue gets stranded on the moon upon impact due to Wid- Widowmaker's interference in preventing Bill from lassoing her causing a disheartened Bill to leave civilization and rejoin the Coyotes. <laughs> Who now howl at the moon in, in honor, honor of Bill's sorrow. sorrow. Wow. Those are, some, those are some real homies. The Coyotes. Nice. Oh, there's so many. There's a lot of versions where they reunite and they live happily ever oh, after. See, that's nice to hear. Yeah. And then there's one version where... Um, this this became all about slow seafood at the yeah. end, weirdly enough. Um, there's one version where she her bustle ride deposits her in Russia, where she must fight a duel with Baba Yaga. No, see, sorry, it is, it's his other big men at the end. Oh, so is he big? I think so. So, let me, like, all the pictures I've seen of him, well, I guess he would have to be big in order to lasso a, a twister. twister. Yeah, and then there's another one. And she was on a giant, and, and Sue was on, like, a giant catfish. So I, I think guess. he is, like, a giant. What the fuck? Can, can, like, I don't understand. <laughs> But I mean, like, a lot of the people in this story, they're on this list are not, like, giants. Mm-hmm. Like, John Henry and David Crockett, hold on, we're gonna talk about them. I don't know, man. Well, let's assume Paul, like, Peckles Bill was considerably tall. Because, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Can, can, like, fucking God, like, just tell me if they're giants! How is that so hard? Anyway, um, Peckles Bill has, like, a, 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 a Disney's Melody Time cartoon you should look it up because it's very cute um it's it's but this is very much like a story of like the frontier of america the mm-hmm. wild west you mm-hmm. know like lassoing a a twister or like fighting off things or or riding a, like a very like wild horse like this is so prototypical of the stories about the wild west which yeah. are usually not very interesting to me yeah either honestly but I, oh the learning english website has another Pecklesville story I mean, I'm not gonna read it because we already, um, we already read this one. Mm-hmm. It. I'm just trying to see if it says that he's a giant. Uh, yeah, he says he represents the spirit of early settlers in America. Okay. So that's about it. This one even has dialogue. Oh my god, I'm not reading this. All right. So <laughs> we've read, we've done Paul Bunyan, we've done Peckles Bill. Uh, I want to do Johnny Appleseed. Let's go. He'll be a quickie. 
Um, he basically was an American pioneer nurseryman, uh, basically one of those guys who grow plants. Okay. Who introduced apple trees to large parts of Pennsylvania, Ontario, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, as well as the northern counties of present-day West Virginia. Um, so the fun thing about him is that he's a real person. Okay. Cool. So the thing with tall tales, like we were talking about before, is that some people are historical individuals, and some people are legendary figures. Mm-hmm. So so far we've talked about two very legendary, two, uh, two and two and then the family of the one of them, legendary figures in Paul Bunyan and his family and um, Pecos Bill. Uh, these are people who by, by all means were not real. Um, we have a few other ones on the list like. Thibault Febboldson. Oh, yeah. He fought a drought. We have Joe Magarak, who was a steel worker made of steel. Very original. And we also have Alfred Boltop Stormalong. Okay. He was an immense sailor. Now that's a giant, probably. Immense sailor. Whose ship was so big, it scraped the moon. So we have a bunch of those, like, fictional, particularly in the way, like, they're <sighs> described and mm-hmm. the, their feats. But then you have people like Johnny Appleseed, who was a real person. Right. He was born in Massachusetts in 1774, mm-hmm. um, and his something. So he he his mother died like shortly after he like two years later, um, after giving birth to another son, and then the son died also a few days after mm-hmm. that, um, and then like his father returns to like to a different place in Massachusetts and he like marries someone like literally four years later. Mm-hmm. So according to some accounts, 18-year-old John persuaded his 11-year-old brother, Nathaniel Cooley Chapman, to go west with him in, in 1792. The two apparently lived a nomadic life until their father brought his large family west in 805 and met up with them in Ohio. Uh, the younger Nathaniel decided to stay and help their father farm the land. And shortly after the brothers parted ways, John began his apprenticeship as an orchidist, orchardist under a Mr. Crawford, mm-hmm. who had apple orchards, thus inspiring his life journeys of planting apple trees. Wow. Um, so this is all his story. Uh, so we're, we're going to go through this really fast. And he was basically, like the name kind of implies, he would, um, he has a popular image of spreading apple seeds randomly everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. In fact, he planted nurseries rather than orchards, built fences around them to protect them from livestock, left the nurseries in the care of a neighbor who sold trees on shares, and returned every year or two to tend to the nursery. So it almost seems like he would set up a nursery, leave it to someone, and leave. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it just would do that in many different places, and that's how he got considered literally walking around. According to some magazine, towards the end of his career, he was presented when... He was present when an itinerant missionary was exhorting an open-air congregation in Mansfield, Ohio. Mm-hmm. The sermon was long and severe on the topic of extravagance because the pioneers were buying such indulgence as calico and important tea. And it's like, oh, fuck, who cares? This is something stupid. <laughs> um, something about him, like, like he's basically, like, like yelling at the guys at the, at the church and then, like, Johnny Appleseed got, like, tired uh, he walked up to the preacher, put his bare foot on the stump that had served as a podium, and said, "Here's your primitive Christian." Oh my god! And then he and that apparently made it also like, "Okay, let's go, bye." <laughs> oh. He apparently, but he apparently would preach gospel as he traveled. Um, he and during his travels, he converted many many na- Native Americans whom he admired. Okay. The Native Americans regarded him as someone who had been touched by the Great Spirit, and even hostile tribes left him strictly alone. To be fair, would you be, like, bothering the crazy dude who's going around just fucking making True. apple orchards? True. You're like, you know what? 
Let's just not. Let's not get involved with this one. Yeah. Um, he cared deeply about animals. Oh, in a story collected by someone, he had a pet wolf that had started following him after he healed his injured leg. You guys also have to remember, like, he might be a real person, but, um, he also, a lot of the stories then began to grow and grow and grow in craziness. Like, the idea that he had a pet wolf, or even his relationship with the indigenous people of that area, Mm -hmm. era. Yeah, like, the idea that he maybe went around converting him and everybody liked him, that might not have been necessarily as accurate, yeah. but it paints a nice picture of this really nice dude who just goes around, like, planting apple trees mm-hmm. and, like, being, like, a nice person converting people. Right. Like, which is, of course, the nicest thing you can do. <laughs> anyway, he dies, um, apparently fairly happily. Um, <laughs> in his, like, newspaper when he died, someone was like, um, many of our citizens will remember this eccentric individual as he sauntered through town eating his dry rusk and cold meat and freely conversing of the mysteries of his religious fate. <laughs> I love that even the fucking newspaper was shading him as he did. Like, fucking leave him alone. Um, so he had a big estate, like 1,200 acres. Uh, he also owned four plots in Indiana and like a lot of like land, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of like leftover tradition from him um but he's very much a religious figure i think in some ways you know because he was known as like a anyway mm-hmm. uh he would be interesting to research some other time yeah who do you sure. have um i had john henry so john henry is another person? historical person yeah yeah um he is a you know an african-american folk hero um and he's said to have worked as a steel driving man so he was uh, essentially hammering steel drills into rock uh, to to blast uh, to put explosives in there and then blast them when you're uh, when they were working on a railroad. Right. Um, and according to legend, he he was so good at this and like effective uh, that his prowess was measured against uh, in a race against a steam powered rock drilling machine, um, and he won. But then immediately died. Yeah, like so, after putting one more. So, so they bet fuck you, he won. But I won, yeah. And that's what matters. Exactly. Um, he usually, like, his tale is usually related through actual, like, songs rather than, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a story. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there's a version of the song that we can find, but that would be cool. The thing, too, is, like, with African-American history is that it's so inaccurate and not, so, and not kept and well. Yeah, because it's been always presented by everyone else yeah and and, like oftentimes like the stories usually began during like slavery Mm -hmm, times mm -hmm. where people were not necessarily educated to write them down so they were an oral tradition Mm -hmm. and unfortunately with oral traditions when you kill the people who like can share them like they die then you've lost it exactly so there's a few big historical aspects of um here that like where the historical accuracy is being debated yeah which i mean yeah no shit yeah no kidding yeah (laughs) um so the big oh. one is like the tunnel where he died. Yes, that's because right. he yeah. eventually dies in a tunnel, right? Like the big one is the Big Bend Tunnel. Um, he conc- this professor in North Carolina concluded that John Henry was a real person who worked on and died at Ch- Chesapeake and Ohio Railways mm-hmm. Big Bend Tunnel. Uh, the tunnel was built near Talcott with Virginia and named for the Big Bend and the Green- Greenbrier River nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, some versions of the song refer to the location of John Henry's death as the Big Bend Tunnel on the CNO. Johnson visited the area around 1929 and found several men who said that they were boys of 12 or 14 when the tunnel was begun mm-hmm. and that they could remember seeing John Henry, a large, powerful man. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Although most of these men had heard of but not seen the famous contest between John Henry and the steam drill, Johnson ultimately was able to find a man who said he had seen it. Um, this man, known as Neil Miller, told me in plain words how he had come to the tunnel until his father at 17, with his father at 17, how he carried water and drills for the steel drivers, how he saw John Henry every day, and finally all about the contest between John Henry and the steam drill. When the agent for the steam drill company brought the drill here, John Henry wanted to drive against it. He took a lot of pride in his work and hated to see a machine take the work of men like him. When they decided to hold a test to get the idea, an idea of how practical the steam drill was, the test went all, all day and part of the next day. John Henry won. He wouldn't rest enough and he overdid it. He took sick and died soon after that. Uh, Mr. Miller described the steam drill in detail. I made a sketch of it and later looked up on pictures, looked up pictures of the early steam drills. I found his description correct. I asked people about Mr. Miller's reputation and all said if Neil said if Neil Miller said anything happened to happen. I like that. I like having that kind of like the reputation behind you because you yeah. can just pull some shit after. Oh my god, yeah. There were a couple of other places. We're not gonna go into them. Just the, yeah, because this one sounds. I mean, it sounds fairly legit. To yeah. be fair, it was 1929, but so, it yeah. sounds fairly legit. Yeah. And it's also because it's a long. But yeah, like another person said, it happened in Lewis t- Tunnel, which is okay. So Scott Reynolds Nelson, an associate professor of history in the College of William and whatever, uh, John Henry of the Ballad was based on a different real person, the 20-year-old New Jersey-born African-American freeman John William Henry. Nelson speculates that Henry, like many African-Americans, might have come to Virginia to work on the cleanup of the battlefields after the Civil War. Arrested and tried for burglary, he was among the many convicts released by the warden to work as lease labor mm. on the CNO Railway. So it was the same railway, it's just a different tunnel. Yeah, yeah, it's like just different, different locations along the railway, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Uh, oh, that's actually really interesting. So according to Nelson, conditions at the Virginia prison, prison were so terrible that the warden, an idealistic Quaker from Maine, believed the prisoners, many of whom had been arrested on trivial charges, would be better clothed and fed if they were released as laborers to private contractors. Okay. Uh, he subsequently changed his mind about this and became an opponent of the convict labor system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nelson asserts that the steam drill race at the Big Bend Tunnel would have been impossible because railroad records do not indicate a steam drill being used there. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, Nelson argues that the contest must have taken place 40 miles away at Lewis Tunnel. Uh, Nelson argues that the verses of the ballad about John Henry being buried near the White House in San, somewhere mm-hmm. that the locomotive roar, mean that Henry's body was buried in the cemetery behind the main building of mm-hmm. Virginia State Penitentiary, mm-hmm. which photos from the time indicate was painted white. Um, but yeah, like I mean, he was there was a John William Henry that was on records. The thing is, John Henry is not that uncommon of a name. That's true. Um, and then there's another one who says it it happened in near Leeds, Alabama. Uh, and but like it, this one's again in the 1920s. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of different media about him. Um, yeah, I mean, he, apparently he was used. Uh, as a symbol in many cultural uh, movements, including the labor, labor movement, the yeah. civil rights movement, um, and just a little uh, in like quoting here from I'm not sure from Bicknell, uh, reflections on John Henry, ethical issues, and singing performance. Interesting. Yeah. Um, John Henry is a symbol of physical strength and endurance, of exploited labor, of the dignity of the human being against the degradation of the machine age, and of racial pride and solidarity. During World War II, his image was used in U.S. propaganda as a symbol of social tolerance and diversity. That's rich of the U.S. government. <laughs> That's very rich. Yeah. But okay. 
I mean, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm glad he was like a move, a, a picture in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I can see why he was a picture in the labor movement as well, because mm-hmm. particularly in an era where like machines were starting to replace people, um, the idea that a man could beat a machine was probably like very comforting to a lot. Sure. Um, so there's a, probably an upcoming film coming to Netflix called John Henry and the Statesman, uh, where Dwayne Johnson is gonna be John Henry. I feel I feel like you know what? Now that we talked about it, I feel like I remember hearing about it. Yeah, I feel like I did too. Like, not- Completely pleased, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Danny Glover played the character in the series Shelley Duvall's Tell Tales and Legends from 1985 to mm-hmm. 1987. Um, I don't know why I immediately thought of uh, Don Glover instead of Danny oh, Glover. Yeah. Dude, oh, same. I was reading that. Because it's more... It's and then more, I read the date and I was like, wait. It's more of an accessible reference for us. I yeah. Think. I do remember Don um, Glover, but he's not the first person. So, like we said, yeah, like it's usually know. based on songs um, rather than like... Used like, like stories. He was in a postage stamp. I mean, he he's like I would say one of the fam- the most famous uh, African American stor- like figures, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of like folklorish tales in in the U.S. Uh, not like historical, though he is a historical figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the general agreement seems to be he existed, right. but a lot of the fe- the feeds might not necessarily be as accurate as portrayed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, let's, okay, so I'm, we're not going to do Febold Feboldson. sorry, sorry Febold. We're just mentioning, you know, we mentioned, you yeah. mentioned him earlier, so that's fine. Okay, let me throw in the most boring man in the world, David Crockett. Crockett. Okay. Um, so David Crockett, you guys will know him, he's the guy who wore the raccoon hat. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe Monica, like, legit, <laughs> like, it, it's legit driving me nuts, like, this guy, this guy. Okay, okay. Look, I'm showing her a picture of his, like, weird... Uh, like outfit. Where? Where? He he's like even I knew like I, I'm so bad at knowing all of this shit. I'm surprised you don't. I'm like <laughs> I'm like legit upset. Why, bitch? Relax. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> so when Davy was thirteen, his father paid him to go to school. <laughs> paid for him to go to school. So you still sound upset while you're reading it. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, just four days in, Davy was bullied by a bigger and older boy. So he decided to wait in a bush along the road home and then attack him. Um, okay. <laughs> As he later wrote in his autobiography, set on him like a wild cat. Um, terrified that the schoolmaster would whip him for beating one of the boys so severely, he decided to start playing hooky. <laughs> his father, John, was furious when a letter inquiring about his son's poor attendance showed up. Grabbing a stick, he chased after Davy who flashed. Whoa, casual child abuse. Um, the teen spent the next few years traveling from his native Tennessee to Maryland, performing odd jobs. When he returned, Crockett's parents didn't recognize him at first. Following an emotional reunion, sorry about chasing you with a stick, I guess. <laughs> Crockett's parents uh, agreed that Davy would stick around long enough to help work off some of family debts. About a year later, all these were satisfied, and Crockett left for good not long after. So, like, David Crockett was basically, like, a, a folk hero, a frontiersman from the 19th century, mm-hmm. um, a soldier, and a politician. He's very famous for having fought in the Alamo against Santana. Okay. Uh, which, if you have ever seen King of the Hill, they regularly reference that. Um, he is commonly referred to in popular culture as the king of the wealth frontier. 
And he was also a statesman. He represented Tennessee in the U.S. House of Representatives and served in the Texas Revolution. We're not going to go into all of his story because there's it's actually fairly well documented. Yeah. And it fucking takes forever. So we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you want to know is that his family had French ancestry. He journeyed back to his father's tavern in Tennessee. He went to school. He was not... In, it's actually... If you look at it later... Mm-hmm. Um, it says that he fell in love with John Kennedy's niece, Amy Summer, who got married to Kennedy's son, Robert, so she married her, her cousin. Okay. While serving as part of the wedding party, Crockett, who at this point is in love with the bride, met Margaret Elder. He persuaded her to marry him, and a marriage contract was drawn up on October 21st, 1805. Mm-hmm. But Margaret had also become engaged to another young man at the same time and married him instead. So it's the second girl he's lost. Uh, he met Polly Finley and her mother, Jean, at the Harvest Festival. Um, and then the mom decided, eh, I don't think you're good enough for my daughter. So this is the third girl. I think, I think at this point, Crockett is like, fuck this bullshit. <laughs> We're getting married. So Crockett declared his intentions to marry Polly, regardless of whether the ceremony was allowed to take place in her parents' home or had to be performed elsewhere. He arranged for a justice of peace and took out a marriage license on August 18th, oh very aggressively. On August 16th, he wrote to Polly's house with family and friends, determined to ride off with Polly to be married elsewhere. Uh, Polly's father pleaded with Crockett to have the wedding in the family home. Crockett agreed only after Jean apologized for her past treatment. Like, this abusive bullshit. Like, at no point is it asked, like, hey, Polly, do you want to marry this guy? <laughs> so the newlywed settled on land near Polly's parents, and their first child, John Wesley Crockett, who became a United States congressman, was born, blah, blah, blah. They got a second kid, and then they moved to, well... Willington County, they had a third kid, uh, Margaret, mm-hmm. um, then they moved to Franklin County, uh, his wife then dies, and his bro- he asks his brother to and his sister-in-law to move, with, to move in with him. Uh, the same year, he marries a widow who had a daughter mm-hmm. uh, and a son, and then they have a son themselves, Robert Patton, and then a daughter, and then a daughter. Okay. So, like, he, he spent a long time reproducing. Mm-hmm. It, later, like, they show you his, like, family tree. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking big. It's no joke, man. The thing is, like, it goes really far back. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. the David Crockett we're talking about is this one right here. And, like, there's a fuck ton of people before that. Wow. And he had two wives, understandably. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, one of them died. It's not like he cheated on her. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no. So he joined the Tennessee militia. Uh, he was part of the government. Let's keep going. So, he nearly died in a boating accident. Okay. And there's a picture of him, like, riding two okay. alligators. <laughs> like, one leg on each alligator. So, after ser- serving under Andrew Jackson in the Tennessee militia, he got into politics. Um, uh, elected a state legislator, he served two terms between 1821 and 1823. And he lost his seat in 1825. Mm-hmm. And he chose an unlikely new profession for himself, barrel manufacturing. Jesus. The entrepreneur hired a team to cut staves, which are the boards that you put around the, the barrel, mm-hmm. um, that, that he planned on selling in New Orleans. Once 30,000 were prepared, Crockett and his team loaded the shipment onto a pair of flatboats and traveled down the Mississippi River. There was just one problem. The shoddy vessels proved impossible to steer. Um, with no means of redirecting them, the one carrying Crockett ran into a mass of driftwood and began to capsize, oh with Crockett trapped below deck. Um, Spring into action, his mates on the other boat pulled him out through a small opening, and then they got rescued the next day. Wow. Can you imagine, like, what a fucking way to die? Oh, man. I was I on my way to build some buckets, and just shit didn't pan out. 
Well, apparently he claims that he managed to kill 105 bears during a seven-month stretch. Okay. Sure, friend. Like, the reason why he was so popular, though, is because, like, he, he had a, like, a folksy-type life. Mm-hmm. So people, um, someone made... So he won, He ran for Congress in 1827, and he won the right to represent Western Tennessee. And four years later, a new show titled The Lion of the Waste of the West started, like, it's a play, started, like, it's, mm-hmm. like open. Uh, and the hit production revolved around a fictitious Kentucky congressman named Col- Colonel Nimrod Wildfire. And obviously based on Davy Crockett. Yeah. Um, so obviously people got really into Davy Crockett and like someone made an unauthorized biography. Um, it was called Sketches and Eccentricities of Colonel, Colonel Davy Crockett of West Tennessee. Oh my God. <laughs> Who like was really annoyed about like the, the thing because he felt like a lot of his life story was being distorted. Yeah, no kidding. Um, although to be fair, it began... No one at this early age could have foretold that he was ever to ride upon a streak of lightning, receive a commission to quiet the fears of the world by ringing off the tail of a comet. So it's so unlikely anyone thought it was a street biography. <laughs> so then, because he was annoyed by it, he made, like, a more successful autobiography. <laughs> Apparently, when the, the Lion of the West finally came to Washington, he was on, on like, the front stage. Yeah. And the author who was playing, like the Colonel Wildfire, like, they locked eyes, and they both bowed to each other, like, ceremoniously. Oh, my God. And the crowd went wild. <laughs> It'd be like Hamilton, like, locking eyes with, like, Manuel Miranda yeah, during Hamilton. Um, people would give him rifles as a gift. Um, he apparently was really, really enjoyed his wild image, so, like, all of the portraits of him yeah. look like this. Yeah. With this weird, like, outdoorsy, like, hunty look with the stupid coon hat. Um, someone described him as like a sort of cross between a clean shirt member of congressman and a Methodist preacher um, and then apparently the portrait we were looking at he was asked to be portrayed as him rallying dogs during a bear hunt um, oh but you know what something that was really cool about David Crockett is that uh, he committed he basically um, Andrew Jackson was really beloved in Tennessee which right. is where he was congressman right. yes and Andrew Jackson also very famously, or infamous, infamously, had the Indian Removal Act, which eventually led to the tr- uh, Trail of Tears. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know, basically told it, it, he basically told a lot of indigenous people that you don't belong in these lands, you need to leave, um, which forced a lot of people to, a lot of indigenous people to travel out of those lands with very little support and usually being attacked. Yeah. So that's why it's called the Trail of Tears because a lot of people would die. On, on the way it, it was basically like genocide by by like force yeah, by law by, yeah, yeah. Um, and Davy Crockett stood up against it even though he was representing Tennessee and he was like and Andrew Jackson's measure was very popular there mm-hmm. I believe there was a wicked unjust measure the congressman later asserted and that I should go against it let the coast against me be what it might uh, he, he lost his re-election bid mm-hmm. uh, to someone who supported him um, and it, he then secured a one-term congressional stint a couple of years later as an anti-Jacksonian, after which he bid Tennessee farewell, famously saying, you may all go to hell and I will go to Texas, <laughs> which is honestly, I won that on, on like a t-shirt. Somewhere. Yeah, that's a good t-shirt. Um, apparently, and apparently, yes, he did own like a, uh, a hat, uh, a, a raccoon hat, um, which was famously, um, portrayed in the Disney show 
because it was apparently a David uh, David Crockett TV serial. Okay. Um, and apparently he started wearing it more often to capitalize on the Lion of the West, like, famous uh-huh. fame. Um, anyway, the, the final thing is that he fought at the Alamo. Yeah. And some people say that he died fighting with Mexicans, and others say that he surrendered. And when they were presented, well, him and the other people who surrender were presented to General Santana, he, he, Santana was just like, fuck it, kill them. So, like, he still died at the Alamo. But um, we just don't know if how he died, basically. Wow, okay. So, David Crockett, a bit more interesting than I thought. Just, Definitely. I, I enjoy, like, like the part about like him turning out to be like a nicer person than I thought he was. Um, they also have a knife that he apparently used during the Battle of the Alamo in some sort of museum here. Nice. Um, but yeah, no. But uh, apparently it was seen as very... Uh, cowardly that he might have surrendered so people were arguing no he didn't he died fighting mm-hmm. and everyone was like no he's, he surrendered and General Santana executed him like the Mexican people had like um, like quotes about that anyway nice. that was Davy yeah, Crockett that's really interesting though yeah uh, do you have anybody else? no man I I, 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 I picked those three out because they really like the most interesting to me honestly um, um, so let me throw in one more person and then we'll be done this will be a quick one because we're almost at an hour. Uh, it's Calamity Jane. And it's the one woman in our list, aside from the one girl who... Uh, Pegasus Bell girl? Yeah. So she was... Her name, name was Martha Jane Canary or Canary. Um, and she was a frontiers woman and professional scout known for being an acquaintance of Wild Bill Hickok mm-hmm. and fighting against Native Americans. She was actually like alive at the beginning of the 1900s oh wow so occupation um so she she was there's a whole list here army scout explorer performer dance hall girl prostitute frontier woman um much of the information about the early years of calamity jane's life comes from the autobiographical booklet which she dictated um she was born on may 1st 1852 um her parents were listed in the census less living about that we don't care about that um her father, Robert Wilson Canary, had a gambling problem, and her mother, Charlotte M. Canary, had spent time working as a prostitute. Jane was the eldest of six children, having mm-hmm. two brothers and three sisters. So they moved to, from Missouri to Virginia City, Montana, and then Charlotte dies of pneumonia along the way in Blackfoot, Montana. Mm-hmm. And once After arriving in Virginia City, Robert took his six children to Salt Lake City, Utah. Utah. Yeah. And then they arrived in the summer, and they started farming um, some... At age 14, Martha Jane took charge of her five younger siblings, loaded up their wagon once more. He, his, her dad died. Yeah, yeah. And took the family to Fort Bridge, Wyoming Territory. Um, then they traveled to the Union Pacific Railroad to Piedmont, uh, Wyoming, uh, so where she started taking all the jobs she could to, sell, to provide for her large family. Wow. She works as a dishwasher, cook, waitress, dance style girl, nurse, and ox team driver. Finally, in 1874, she claimed she found work as a scout at Fort Russell. Uh, during that time, she also began her on-and-off employment as a prostitute at the Fort Laramie Three Mile Hog Ranch. Um, accounts from that period describe Jane as being extremely attractive and a pretty dark-eyed girl. So, clearly a rough life and a yeah. pretty cool, but pretty cool of her. Like, she was like, "Fuck it, I need to do this, so yeah, we're doing this." You know, like that shit, you know? she just did that shit exactly. Also, what the fuck is an ox team driver? I don't know. Is it, I don't know if it, it's like a cart thing. It doesn't even have like a blue link. <laughs> 
Um, Are you supposed to find like half this info? So acquiring the nickname. Jane was involved in several campaigns in the long-running military conflicts with Native Americans, aka, you know, the war of like, please give us back our land. No, fuck you, we're gonna kill you. Um, it was during the campaign that I was christened Calamity... Cal- it was like in 1872-73 that I was christened Calamity Jane. Um, we were ordered out to quell an uprising of the Indians mm-hmm. and were out for several days, had numerous skirmishes d- during which six of the soldiers were killed and several and several severely wounded. Mm -hmm. When on returning to the post, we were ambushed about a mile and a half out from our destination. When fired upon, Captain again was shot. I was riding in advance and on hearing the firing, turned in my saddle and saw the captain reeling in his saddle as though about to fall. I turned my horse and galloped back with haste to his side and got there in time to catch him as he was falling. I I lifted him onto my horse in front of me and succeeded in getting him safely to the fort. Captain again on recovering laughingly said, I name you Calamity Jane, the heroine of the plains. So, wait, that makes no sense. You would think that someone with the name Calamity Jane brings upon calamities. Yeah. Like, so, like, what? Or I guess it's all the calamity that befell her. Uh, mind you, Captain Jack Crawford, who, like, was, like, part of the, I guess, army or whatever, stated that Calamity Jane never saw service in any capacity under either General Crook or General Miles. She never saw a lynching and was never in an, in- in an Indian fight. She was a simply, notor- simply a notorious character, dissolute and devilish, but possessed a generous streak which made her popular. It might be that she exaggerated the story or even completely fabricated it. Oh, I see. Uh, even during her lifetime, not everyone accepted her version is true. A popular belief is that she insisted, she instead acquired it as a result of her warnings to men that to offend her was to court calamity. Oh, I see. It is possible that Jane was not part of her name until the nickname was coined for her. It is certain, however, that she was known by that nickname because the arrival of the Hickok wagon train was reported in Deadwood's newspaper with the headline, Calamity Jane has arrived. Um, so she sounds like the kind of girl who would like take something from you, be like, oh, can you take a picture of it? Yeah. You'd be like, okay. And then she posts this on Instagram, like, look what I got! <laughs> yeah, oh, jeez. Oh, um, so anyway, there's some more stories. Basically, she spent a lot of time killing indigenous people. Um, she says she at, in her final year she bought a ranch west of Montana where she kept an inn. She later married Clinton Burke from Texas, uh, and she gave birth to a daughter who was adopted by foster parents. She's started. She also started to appear in Buffalo Will's Wild West show as a storyteller, um, and participated in the Pan American Exposition. At that time, she was depressed and an alcoholic. Her addiction to liquor was evident even in her younger years. Uh, for example, in 1876, she rented a horse and a buggy for a one-mile joy ride to Fort Russell and back. But she was so drunk that she passed right by her destination without noticing it. Mm-hmm. And then ended up about 90 miles away from Fort Alamy. Um, so she eventually uh, returned to Black Hills in 1903, and brothel owner Madame Duran Dufran was still running her business. Mm-hmm. So she earned her keep by cooking and doing the laundry for Dora's brothel girls. Uh, in late July, she traveled or by train to South Dakota and stayed at the Callaway Hotel. She died at the age of 51. Wow. That's young. Yeah. It was reported that she had been drinking heavily while on board on the train and had become sick to her stomach. Oh, my God. The conductor carried her off, carried her off the train. A bartender secured a room for her in the Callaway Hotel and a doctor was summoned. She died almost immediately afterwards on August 1st, 1903 oh. from inflammation of the bowels and pneumonia. Oh, Jesus Christ, that sounds horrible. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, it sounds like she had a really wild life. Yeah. It's unfortunate because in a lot of ways she was quite a pioneer Mm -hmm. for women. 
but it also sounds like she was doing things that were not good. Yeah, like no she kidding. was quite like she was like fuck it. What indigenous I mean, people I might shoot? As well, essentially, yeah. Yeah, but I I think she would be someone I would be interested in to looking more into. For sure. Anyway, I think that was our child tales for today. Yeah. Um, I feel like I learned a lot. Me actually. too. Like I, I did like, not yeah. expect that. <laughs> I usually, I usually know I'm gonna learn something, but usually thinking like, but this one I was like, I mean, I won't care that much. I, I'm yeah, like, I mean, I wasn't very familiar with any of it. Like, you yeah. Know, so, but but I learned. Like, I feel like I learned a lot, and I was actually yeah. interested in the subject matter. Nice. Um. Anyway, so you can hit us up on Twitter at Cryptalk. Pod, yes. uh, and our email is cryptocast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tumblr, if you're still on that blue hell site, <laughs> it is cryptalk.tumblr.com. Um, just a fair warning um, I was talking with Monica earlier, and we I realized that a lot of my projects for my class and for work are due around, Feb- around March, mm-hmm. like end of February, beginning of March. Mm-hmm. So, depending on how February goes for me, we might skip March yeah. as like a production month just because yes. I might need to catch up on some work. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is fine, but like we have stuff going on in our lives that we yeah. need to take care of too. So, so um, you know, like, I mean, we know that this isn't particularly like a multi-thousand people <laughs> yeah. listening podcast, but no. you know, I think it's a fair warning to give you guys, yeah. you know, like what the fuck happened to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll be back. If, if you don't hear from us in March, you will definitely hear from us in April? Yes, that is the month that goes <laughs> yeah, after March. Yes. That is indeed the month after March. <laughs> um, so, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Yeah. And we'll see you, if not in a couple of weeks, in one month. Bye! Bye.